Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is an RNZ podcast. Kia ora, and welcome to Elemental from RNZ. I'm Alan Blackman from the Auckland University of Technology. And I'm Alison Balance. We are up to episode 52 in this alphabetical foray around the periodic table, which brings us nicely to nickel. Which gets the name nickel from the German nickel for Satan or the devil. That's yet another excellent elemental name. (laughs) It does remind me of an element that we've already done, wasn't your favourite, she's thinking hard here, favourite element, cobalt, named after a goblin or something like that? Yes, indeed. Cobalt, uh, meaning goblin, yep. And very appropriately, nickel just happens to sit right next door to cobalt on the periodic table. Knowing that, let's have a look, as we always do at the beginning, at some vital statistics for this element. Elemental symbol NI, atomic number 28, It was discovered in 1751, and as everybody knows, it is a metal. Now, North Americans, and I'm thinking both Canada and the United States, have nickel coins. So the obvious question is, are nickels made of nickel? A very good question. So the nickel, for those of you who don't know, is the name given to either the American or the uh, Canadian five-cent piece. If you're talking about the uh, US nickel, depending on the year it was minted, it certainly does contain nickel in uh, anything from ratios of actually 0% to 25%. And in fact, uh, from those numbers, you can figure out that it's, nickels are mostly something else. And in fact, they're made predominantly of copper. So the US five cent coin's got a bit of a history here. So originally it was called a half dime and it was made out of all things silver, which seems a bit ridiculous these days. It was worth a bit more in those days. It would have had to have been, (laughs) yes. So we're talking back in the days of the Civil War here, and um, so obviously silver and uh, some other metals became scarce, and in fact most coins went out of circulation around that time. But at the end of the Civil War, 1866, the five-cent piece came back in the form of an alloy of copper and nickel, but it wasn't a big success. Oh, that's because people like the silver. It yeah, felt well, more valuable. So. <laughs> and so because of that, they went back to the silver half dime. Oh, phew. <laughs> and that was minted until 1873, and it was continued in circulation after that. But, and this is the brilliant story, 1883, after much lobbying by the nickel mining magnate Joseph Wharton, a new nickel alloy five-cent coin was introduced. And this time it went into wide circulation and people called it the nickel. And didn't Wharton do well out of it then, (laughs) with a guaranteed market for his nickel? He was literally making money. (laughs) Oh, to be a lobbyist. (laughs) Where does nickel come from? Nickel originally came from space, an awful lot of it. And uh, what we find is that nickel is quite abundant in meteorites. And it is thought that quite a lot of the early terrestrial nickel came to Earth through uh, meteorite impacts. 
And indeed, one such meteorite, or in fact it may have been a comet containing bits of meteorite, was thought to have landed near a town called Sudbury in Ontario, Canada, and um, this contributed to this area being at one time the largest source of nickel in the world. In celebration of this, the town of Sudbury is the home of the thing called the Big Nickel. And this is a replica Canadian five-cent piece, which weighs in at a staggering 13,000 kilograms, and it's nine metres in diameter. It seems a very odd thing to have, but who are we to talk? After all, New Zealand's very own Oakuni has a giant statue of a carrot. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you'd think the least they could do with this uh, big nickel was make it out of nickel, but unfortunately, it's actually made of stainless steel. Oh, it's a fraud. probably contains some nickel. (laughs) (laughs) In terms of nickel, let's say, in the planet rather than on the planet, uh, it is thought that the molten core of the Earth is around about 10% nickel, which would, in fact, make it easily one of the most abundant elements uh, on Earth. But in the Earth's crust, it ranks only 23rd in abundance. Apart from these nickel coins, the Sudbury pretend coin aside, (laughs) what do we do with the stuff? Just like in the coins, uh, we find nickel's really useful in other alloys, in fact. Nickel is used in stainless steel, for example, and that's generally in combination with chromium. And um, because it doesn't corrode, it's often used in things like rocket engines and gas turbines. There are some other really quite interesting alloys of nickel. And so there's one called Invar, and that is 64% iron and 36% nickel. And this is really interesting because when it's heated, it doesn't expand. That's a very, very rare thing. There's an alloy that many of you will have heard of called Nichrome, and that, surprisingly enough, is nickel and chromium with between 11 and 22% chromium. And that's used in toaster elements. My favourite of the lot is a thing called nitinol, and that's 55% nickel and 45% titanium, and it is also known as memory metal. And this is really cool. I've actually played around with some of this myself. You get a wire of nitinol, you put it into a particular shape, you then heat it up to sort of set it in that particular shape, and then once you've done that, you can straighten it out once it's cooled, And then you heat it up again and it adopts the shape that you set it to. It really is quite impressive, just heating this thing up and watching it bend into any sort of shape. It does, in fact, find some use in very, very lightweight spectacle frames as precisely for this reason it bounces back to its original shape. Oh, I think they market those as unbreakable glass frames or something, don't they? I think people who've got them love them. (laughs) Um, I've worn glasses all my life and there's no such thing as an unbreakable glass frame, but... (laughs) Oh, well. Now, Nickel, I associate that name with batteries. Yes, indeed. It's extensively used in batteries. So you've got your Nickel-Cadmium rechargeable and you've got your NIMH, which is Nickel Metal Hydride rechargeable batteries. And, in fact, despite the name, it's also used in lithium-ion batteries. Got to wave my biology flag. Yoo-hoo! Any biological roles going on here? Oh, plenty of biological roles. It's got lots of them. Most importantly, it is found in a number of enzymes. And a bit of an interesting history here because one of those enzymes won a guy by the name of James Sumner the Nobel Prize in Chemistry in 1946. And he, in fact, was the first person to show that you could crystallise an enzyme. And specifically, the enzyme that he used in this case was a thing called jack bean urease. Whoa, whoa. 
There's an enzyme called Jack Bean Urease. <laughs> what a weird name. Um, it came from a thing called the Jack Bean. His name wasn't Jack Bean, I guess. I get it now. <laughs> and so Jack Bean Urease is a nickel-containing uh, enzyme. So that won this fellow, James Sumner, the Nobel Prize in Chemistry. And interesting fact about him, when he was 17, he went out hunting one day and unfortunately, he lost his lower left arm. Somebody shot him by accident. Uh, they needed to amputate his lower left arm. Unfortunately, he was left-handed, and so he had to learn to do everything right-handed, which is quite remarkable, I guess, at that age, at that relatively late stage in life. Clearly didn't stop him going on to have a sterling career in chemistry, though. No, absolutely. Really, really impressive. What does this urease enzyme do? In humans, in fact, it uh, converts urea to carbon dioxide and ammonia. And unfortunately for us, it allows a nasty little thing called Helicobacter pylori to live in our stomachs. And that's where we get stomach ulcers from. <laughs> yes, but discovering that that bacteria caused stomach ulcers won somebody else, an Australian, a Nobel Prize as well. Indeed, his name escapes me right at the moment. Very yes, somebody. He, and, and he did a lovely little experiment to show that too. It was, it was chemistry at its finest, that was. <laughs> um, digressing, of course. Urease is one of many nickel enzymes, so there's other important ones that occur in microbes, and these are very important in the cycling of carbon through various stages in the atmosphere. And so what we find is that some of these enzymes convert carbon monoxide to carbon dioxide, and then another enzyme can take carbon dioxide through to acetate, and yet another one can take acetate through to methane. And so this generates essentially a cycle of carbon-containing compounds, and this involves millions of tonnes of these compounds annually. Well, I reckon that driving the world's carbon cycle is probably a far more valuable use of nickel than five-cent coins, even if those are why the name of this element is quite so well-known. And that's the end of this Elemental episode, which you can find again at rnz.co.nz slash chemistry. And it is, of course, also a podcast that you'll find at Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and some others as well. Take your pick. We're back next time with Niobium. But until then, it's goodbye from me, Alan Blackman. And me, Alison Balance. Cheerio. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.